Well, yeah, Colleen had a ballet recital, uh, a couple actually, and a dress rehearsal. So, yeah, we crammed a lot into the weekend. Yeah. Oh man, I I feel like I'm still rolling on Memorial Day weekend mode because this was the weather that we should have had yeah. for Memorial <laughs> Day weekend. Um, so in my mind, it is still May 31st, and uh, for some reason, that is keeping me sane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did feel uh, because... obviously this will this will feel a lot less timely whenever this episode comes out. Yeah, because it will be two weeks after Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, but maybe it'll still feel like Memorial Day weekend to you. It's it's definitely felt like that to me because yeah, because the weather sucked last weekend. Like I turned the heat on on Memorial Day weekend. I turned yeah. the heat back on, and I was wearing a hoodie out and about um and yeah and, and we didn't really do much it just felt like kind of two saturdays and a sunday but then this weekend we crammed a bunch of stuff in and it was the last day of school for colleen so like today's the first day of summer like the first oh, monday wow. that she didn't go to school so yeah we're trying to like figure out a new routine and and all that stuff uh so you know like i put declan I, like i just put declan down for a nap when normally I would be going to pick her up from school because, like, she's been out with friends since, like, 1, noon or 1 or something like that. And then on top of all that, Sarah had to go back to the office today for, like, the first time since March of last year because <laughs> of, uh, like, there was some big... Uh, the FDA, like, gave approval to some drug that treats Alzheimer's. And so she had to... Do- oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. So she has to, like, do a bunch of TV interviews and stuff, and they wanted them at the office... And she was like, why can't we do Zoom? Everyone's doing Zoom. Literally everyone's on Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. It, they, they've been on Zoom for 15 <laughs> months now. Yeah. So, But uh, yeah. today, this this requires them to, to be in office. I know. I, I while, while they're probably still going to be on Zoom. Yeah, yeah, probably. Just Zoom. <laughs> She'll just actually have a logo behind her or something. I don't know. Maybe that's what it was. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised, like, in 15 months, they couldn't have just gotten, like, a banner that says Alzheimer's Association, and she could have, like, used that at the house. Yeah, and sent it to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, just, just rig one of her T-shirts to make it look like a banner <laughs> or some, some sort of art. Yeah, we probably could get, like, a T-shirt frame or something, and I'm sure that exists. <laughs> I saw there's a there's a radio station in Montreal, I believe, and instead of, like, having a banner or, like, a backdrop for photo ops, they have a very well-lit room or hallway. I'm guessing it's a small room, uh, but it's a white wall, and the wallpaper has their logo on it. I'm like, this is this is great. This is incredible. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, why why bother with, like, the hassle of setting something up if you can just have your wallpaper with your logo on it? Yeah. You just got to hope you don't change the logo, but maybe it's one that's eh, been around long enough. It, I mean, it, it looks like a good logo, but even then... It's new wallpaper if yeah. you do. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, what's what's the harm? It can't be that much. It, you, you'd probably pay less for new wallpaper than you would for a new banner. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But so, yeah, I don't, I don't know when she's going to be home. But she, like, forgot. She's, like, forgotten everything about, like, where her, like, where her parking pass was and how to get into the building. And <laughs> did, uh, did she remember how to get there, at least? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think she probably... I I don't I don't know like where her office is at, but I'm just picturing her like driving right into like the one tunnel in Pittsburgh that always is like plugged up to the brim. Uh, yeah. I think it's Liberty Tunnel. <laughs> um, like in rush hour and sitting there for three hours. Yeah, I feel like both are, but you might be also talking about Fort Pitt. Like even on Saturday afternoons, Fort Pitt Tunnel. Is oh yeah, yeah. Up. I 
I've never lived in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I've only ever driven through the Liberty Tunnel. Right. Um, thankfully, it was not busy at the time I drove through it. Yeah. It never is when I do either. I, I appreciate that. But the one the one time I did have to go into the office in the afternoon, and so I, I was in the lane that I'm normally in, and the other lane was all backed up, and I was like, man, what are all these idiots doing in that lane? I am sailing through this lane. <laughs> and then it turns out that like they closed down certain lanes of the Liberty Tunnel at certain hours, and and I was in the lane oh. that I was in the lane that did not go to the highway I wanted to go to. I was in the lane that goes down to Station Square and oh. does not cross the river at all. <laughs> so I had to like. I had to, you know, luckily, I, I think I was running GPS at the time. And so my GPS was like, recalculating, where are you going? And I had to like cross some weird bridge and go through downtown and then get back on. I was like, oh, that's why all those idiots were in that other lane, because it's the one that actually goes where people <laughs> did, did someone go. Did someone let you back into that lane generously enough? No, I, I, oh, okay. I, I think I was relatively still new. Well, I don't know. It was like early in 2020, I think. Well, Okay. Yeah, it must have been. I think it was like February or something, because otherwise there wouldn't have been any traffic whatsoever, I'd imagine. But Pittsburgh drivers are polite to a fault, and I say that because their politeness can... You know, if you give somebody the right away that doesn't need it or deserve it, you can cause an accident in another way, and that happens all the time around here. They're, they're polite to a fault, so I probably could have been let back in, even though it's a double line inside the tunnel. I would have been breaking the law, but I bet somebody might have let me in, but anyway, I no, I went, through, I went down through Station Square and across some weird bridge and through downtown. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like kind of where, just to bring it back to Seinfeld, kind of talking about Elaine and her directions to the airport, you know, and people telling her not to go through, not to take whatever it was, the LIE or something like that, you know? Oh, my God. I, I don't even remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, it was like I was I was flying and everyone else was moving in slow motion or something like that. We almost made it. And then we hit. And then it's whatever road they're talking about, the Roosevelt or whatever it is. Yeah, we don't know our New York geography, in case you didn't know. All right, should we get started? Might as well. Since I did mention Seinfeld, uh, welcome to the Hugging No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be watching, and I didn't write it down again, Season 8, Episode 15? The Susie? Okay. I don't know why I'm not writing it down. Um, (laughs) But before that, we did have just very little bit of homework from our last episode. So what's the deal with stuff from the Van Buren boys? All we really wanted to know about was Christine Taylor and whether you could. It's always interesting when someone, you know, famous pops up in an episode of a TV show from 1997 because you're like, okay, was she famous then or not? Uh, So Christine Taylor, actually on Wikipedia, I didn't know this because I'm pretty sure professionally she doesn't go by this, but it says Christine Taylor Stiller. I haven't really noticed any of her credits since she got married, but I, I I thought they always just said Christine Taylor, but yeah, maybe that's a legal professional thing. But she is 49. Uh, her birthday's coming up, July 30th. Uh, born in Allentown, PA. So many people from Pennsylvania, it's weird. And she began her acting career in 1989 on the Nickelodeon children's television series, Hey Dude, which I can't believe oh, I didn't mention, because wow. that was one of my favorite <laughs> shows when I was a kid. See, there's there's that whole era of early Nickelodeon that just escapes me because I was either not born yet or an infant. Yeah. Uh, hey, dude, <laughs> Wienerville, a lot of guts. Unfortunately, yeah. like I I've seen most of what I've seen in guts were in replays, and oh, there was another show, Nick I Arcade. Think. That was big. For Nick me. Arcade, yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to say there was a few more, too, that I, I missed 
like in early Nickelodeon. I mean, Double Dare, um, Wild and Crazy Kids. Um, I, I was never, I was never big into original Double Dare with Mark Summers, yeah. but they played it a lot in reruns. Once Double Dare two thousand came around, that mm-hmm. that was my shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and um, Mark Summers had another show. It was almost like a Let's Make a Deal type show, but for kids. <laughs> what was that called? It was like. What would you do? I think it was just called What Would You Do? And, and he got kids to do crazy stuff and dumb stunts. I feel like it's very much like there's a straight line from that to <laughs> what Jimmy Fallon would do with his audience sometimes. Like I, yeah. I was watching, um, which, by the way, is incredible. And I only saw part five of it. So I want to go back and watch the whole thing. But CNN is doing the story of late night right now. And oh, and, wow. And part five was all of the Leno, Conan, Letterman. Fallon, oh, Kimmel, man. madness from the late two, like from two thousand nine, like like twenty ten, twenty eleven. Yeah. Oh wow, I, that was a book I had to read for one of my college classes. Was a uh, a book uh, about that. Actually, that might be one of the sources that CNN is using. Oh yeah, they they talked to the guy who wrote. I think he wrote the Late Shift, and he wrote the War for Late Night. That's it, yeah. the War for Late Night. Yeah. Oh my god, because the Late Shift was about Carson leaving. And, of course, Letterman was on NBC after Carson, and that's a whole story about NBC botching that. And then they botched yeah. it again when the whole Conan Leno thing Yeah, like how, how do you botch – how do you do the same botch yeah. twice yeah, it was- in in 20, 15 yeah. years? I don't, I don't know. When, when did Leno take over? Early 90s? Yeah, somewhere around there. I, I don't remember. It wasn't, it wasn't quite 95, was it? I don't think so, no. Okay, so yeah, like like twenty years then. Uh, also, I should mention that uh, because I am essentially screaming into <laughs> the wall of our guest room. Uh, my lovely wife Grace is home for lunch right now. She can hear everything yeah. I'm saying and text me, uh, Pete and Pete, Legends of the yes, Hidden Temple, yes. and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yep. I mean, Clarissa. <laughs> we got to mention Clarissa as long as we're talking. And Clarissa, Snick, yes. Saturday Night Nickelodeon. Ah. Oh. Yeah. I forgot how great Pete and Pete was. I mean, that definitely contributed to my, you know, absurd, how much I love just absurd, weird, surreal television, because uh, that was there, awesome. There was, um, I don't know if, I've probably mentioned the Doughboys podcast yes, on here yeah. before that I, I listened to, along with the Downvoter. They had an episode recently, their producer, Emma, and their former assistant and producer, Song. they are... Older Gen Z, if not, like, really young millennial. Mm-hmm. They're younger than I am. I think they're, like, 25-ish. Yeah. There was an episode that, I don't know how they stumbled onto the topic, neither of them have ever heard of Pete and Pete. Oh, what a shame. Like, not even, like, heard of it. Yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it, but I at least know what it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I loved that. It's just so, just weird like man what is this like should i you know it's it was almost like adult in and i don't mean like like it it was dirty i mean probably there probably was some of that humor i don't really that wasn't the draw of it you know it was just like yeah it was just surreal it was just like you figure it was made by kids it was just so so kid-like and it's like well nothing really matters you know here's just a bunch of weird stuff and also here's iggy pop and michael stipe uh playing roles as well (laughs) like what Okay. Oh, we're getting like a cool, like I forget where they were from, Athens, Georgia, or somewhere like where the indie scene was really happening. Like to do the lead, to do the song. You know, we're gonna have a bunch of cool, like indie groups do the music too. Like, okay, weird, but all right. You know, that's this is gonna shape. This is gonna shape what I like later on in life. The producers are like, okay, great. <laughs> um, Pete and Pete was like the Velvet Underground of kids' TV shows. 
in that way. Uh, but yeah. Are, is this where is this where our episode is going to go today? Just assigning '90s indie bands <laughs> yeah. to uh, '90s Nickelodeon shows. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Grace also says Alex Mack. Okay, now we're getting out of. That's where I was growing out of of Nickelodeon. Okay, the secret world of Alex <laughs> Mack. But I remember watching at least maybe like the first season or the first episode or something like that. But once yeah. you get into Alex Mack, you start talking about all that, and that's when I was. Mm-hmm. That's when I was too. You know, like Roundhouse. If you want to text back Roundhouse and see if she remembers that, because that was my all that. That was my Nickelodeon sketch show was Roundhouse <laughs> on, on Saturday Night Nickelodeon. Snick. So, Chris. How did we get on this? Hey, dude. Oh, okay. <laughs> I still, by the way, Hey, Dude, of course, was on in 1989. I was eight years old, and I still remember, it's a little wild and a little strange when you make your home out on the range. <laughs> I still remember the Hey, Dude theme song. <laughs> Wow. And also, you know what? Just one more thing about Hey Dude. It also like started, you know, I'll just 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 speak uh, in this way. I I know we like to be woke on the show, but I'll just say it started teenage boys or or eight year old boys down the path of like choosing. It it started the blonde and brunette dichotomy for for young boys. Like, well, who are you? Are you a melody or are you a see? Now I can't even remember the 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 brown haired girl's name, uh, the brunette's name. But they had, you know, those two girls and and sort of differing personalities, and and it sort of I th- I feel like started that dichotomy in in the life of uh, <laughs> a lot of kids. So in '95, Taylor was cast as Marsha Brady in the Brady Bunch movie, and later in a very Brady sequel, which came out right away in '96. I didn't know that those movies came out in back to back years. <laughs> I guess you got to strike while the iron's hot. Like how long can Brady madness <sighs> yeah. still last? Yeah, in the 90s? very true. <laughs> Um, And so if this was in 97 and a very Brady sequel just came out, too, I feel like this maybe was a cameo. I feel like you can you can categorize this as a cameo. Yeah. I mean, if um, we're both Brady movies uh, released theatrically. Yeah. Then, yeah, I would say this is definitely a a cameo that went uncredited. Yeah. Even if you Uh, she's not a nothing actress at this point. And and even if you didn't know her name, you were watching the show and you might have gone, oh, hey, look who it is. They got her. Wow, that's cool. That's a good get. That happens all the time when I'm watching a show. It's like, hey, it's uh, that guy. Yeah. yeah. She also had roles in The Craft. She played the racist school bully. And I think her hair falls out. (laughs) I think they I think the coven casts a little spell on her and her hair falls out. I don't know. Um, oh God! But by the way, keep that in mind as I read through her credits because another little weird thing pops up. Uh, she was in the Wedding Singer as Drew Barrymore's cousin Holly. You might remember uh, Zoolander, of course. That's where uh, you know Ben Stiller kind of oh, pops yeah. into the conversation. Dodgeball, as we talked about last week, uh, and yes. she was in and every yeah. week for the last month. <laughs> yeah, and we will continue to talk about Dodgeball uh, until maybe I see it again. Until maybe I go out and finally. <laughs> Uh, look it up. If if you're able to watch it this week so we can talk about it next week, that will make a solid month of us talking about Dodgeball. All right. I will, I will try my hardest. Although it's probably okay. not appropriate to watch with kids, which is the only time I get to watch a little bit of TV is when they're in the room. Eh, so. it, I wouldn't say it's bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They're probably old enough to retain dialogue they hear in movies now, so it's probably not the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. I wouldn't you, want I, I don't think you want uh, Sarah hearing Declan running around saying... Dodge, duck, dick, duck, and dive. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be as bad, but, you know, some other things I'm sure <laughs> that I don't remember in the movie, probably probably not. Uh, she was, oh, yeah, and of, and of course on TV series like Arrested Development, she was in four episodes as Sally Sitwell, and she was she's also in the, twenty um, since 2016, she's been on the comedy Search Party as Gail, which I know a lot of people like. That's kind of a, a cult favorite right now. 
and she also had guest spots. I for- totally forgot. How could we forget she was on Friends? Three episodes. Oh, yeah. As Bonnie, who shaves her head. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, you know, her, she, her hair fell out in the craft. She plays Sally Sitwell, whose dad has alopecia, and, like, his hair is falling out all the time. And then also she was on Friends as Bonnie, who shaves her head and uh, at, at one point. And so, I, like, somebody, tr- like, Rachel tricks her into shaving her head or something like that. Uh, to get at Ross, and uh, she's the girl at the beach, right? Who Ross? You didn't know whether Ross was going to go back into her room or or into Rachel's room uh, in that cliffhanger. Oh, man. I think I I have no idea. And then she was also on a couple episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm as herself with Ben Stiller. So here's something interesting: Christine Taylor dated Neil Patrick Harris from '97 to '98. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. I'd love to know if that was like a Lance Bass Topanga situation or if Neil Patrick Harris was still figuring stuff out at that point. I don't know enough about his journey. Yeah, I I don't even remember the the year uh the year NPH came out. Yeah, yeah. I, it was late. No, it wasn't late 2000s. I want to say it was probably early mid 2000s. Yeah, that sounds right, but but I honestly have no idea. Um, yeah, I I don't know. So Taylor married Ben Stiller on May 13th of 2000, and they met while making the TV show Heat Vision and Jack in 1999. Have you ever heard of that okay. show? I have not. It's no. the show with, now I'm trying to remember who played what role. I think Jack Black plays Jack. That would make sense. And Owen Wilson is the voice of Heat Vision, which is Jack's motorcycle. And it's sort of like, it's sort of what like the Fuck? I've never actually watched this. I think I have it on. It's one of those things that sort of went viral in the same way that South Park did. It was this TV show that they tried to make, I guess, back in 99. And I think they made one episode of it. And it was just a weird, I think it's like a post-apocalyptic sort of like Mad Max style comedy, <laughs> you know, but but also played kind of straight. And, and like I said, I've never actually seen it. I've only heard lore of it. But if you can find it, it's supposedly it's it's just absolutely mind-boggling and weird but also funny and also everyone involved with it went on to these prolific hollywood careers so God, yeah okay i've, I've got to try and find that 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 sounds incredible i know it, it's been on my watch list since i was in college so you know only since like 2001 or whatever since i heard of it <laughs> like and and i seriously do <laughs> probably have a burned cd somewhere around here that says heat vision and jack on it you know back when people burned movs quick time movies onto cd <laughs> to watch later uh, because they took up too much space on your 695 meg hard drive <laughs> on your <laughs> on your tower desktop. Um, I didn't know this though. Taylor and Stiller separated in 2017. Either I didn't know that or I forgot it. But they reconciled earlier this year. Earlier in 2021. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not either I heard it and forgot or I didn't know. But I feel like that's one of those couples that I would have gone, oh, love is dead. You know, <laughs> like, man, they For seem real. so great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I I, like it or, you know, I there's a little bit of I don't like it because who, who wants to. But when when like, quote unquote, Hollywood people break up, you're like, I knew it. It's all you're all a bunch of phonies to, to kind of reference something from this episode. You're all a bunch of phonies. But then when people who I'm like, oh, love is real, you know, like Ben Stiller and Christine Taylor, that's what a great, funny couple that obviously is uh you know in it for the long haul and then you hear they break up like i remember zoe deschanel and ben gibbard were another one that i was like yes <laughs> love is real quirky indie people belong together and then they you know split and i was like no <laughs> <laughs> love is not real so that's that's uh, all but we got a lot out of christine taylor 
Yeah, we did. Oh, my God. And believe it or not, there wasn't much interesting trivia from this episode either. The only interesting bit of trivia I can offer is that there's only two more references to Bob Sacamano. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So you might remember he's telling Elaine a story. He's like, I was on the phone with Bob Sacamano, and I remembered I had to leave to go uh, return some pants, and Bob Sacamano has nothing to do with the story. So Elaine's like, why did you bring him up? But So that's the, that's the third to last reference of Bob Sacamano. Wow. Yep. Oh, my God. I know. I know. So that's it. All right. Uh, do we have any news or anything? Not that I saw. Yeah, I don't think so. I do hear birds, though. Did, did you get a bird or did you open the window? <laughs> I opened a oh, window. Okay. It's fine. I don't it, mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you hear it. I mean, I, I can faintly hear it, but I didn't know it was uh, picking up that loud. I can close it if you want me to. No, I don't care. Okay. I want to mention, this has nothing to do with anything, but we were over at uh, a friend's house last night, and we were thumbing through Pluto TV, and we stumble upon this Spanish movie channel, and we see Eddie Murphy talking very fast, and we're like, okay, first one to figure out the movie wins something. (laughs) I, I don't know. Nobody was able to figure it out. Actually, it was uh, it was Aaron and Jess's house, the downvoter, yeah, and and his girlfriend. He looked it up. The movie, I don't know if you've heard of this, A Thousand Words with Eddie Murphy. I do remember the, yeah, I, I've never seen it, but I remember hearing about it. I know the concept. I've never even heard of this movie before, <laughs> but we're, we're watching like a, a couple minutes of it. Uh, like baby Clark Duke is in it, uh, and it's still from 2012. You could have told me it was from 2004, and I would have <laughs> believed you. But one of the writers on A Thousand Words was Steve Corin. Oh my gosh! <laughs> That's crazy. The uh, wannabe architect and city planner uh, <laughs> character named after the real-life story editor of Seinfeld, Steve Corin. Wow, that's crazy. God, I that was a pull that I was like, oh my god, <laughs> how how is that gonna? How does that happen? People but think you anyway, have this like Wikipedic knowledge of obscure yeah. screenwriters, but when in fact it had just <laughs> come up that week. <laughs> guys, guys, please, I have a podcast. <sighs> Wow, I thought like a bomb so, just went off, but it's actually a, about to be a thunderstorm. <laughs> There's all sorts of crazy uh, diegetic sound in this um, in this episode of the podcast. God, all right. Um, if you have never listened to this episode, or if you've never listened to this show before, we are not a research-heavy show. Uh, I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order. After being a lifelong fan for years, I missed something. What did I miss? Oh. We're not a research-heavy show, despite the last 25 minutes being solely bullshit and research and homework, mostly on Christine Taylor Stiller and, and early Nickelodeon. If we miss anything on these episodes, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email at no hugging on Twitter, no hugging, no learning show at gmail.com. Both those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice if they accept ratings. Um, if you do so and you leave us a nice review that we can read and give you a shout out, we will send you a holographic no hugging, no learning sticker free of charge. Uh, we just need your mailing address so that we can send that to you. Or if you just want to send it to to us in our email so you don't want it to be public that's totally fine we'll do that too and we can even not mention it at all if you want yeah, what that's, are you ashamed of though it's up to you yeah <laughs> i mean are, are you ashamed of people knowing that you listen to us i would be yeah 
Uh, okay, that all being said, Season 8, Episode 15, The Susie, original air date, February 13th, 1997. I was four years, one month, and 24 days old. And, Tim, if you count this episode and every other episode we've got left, we have 30 episodes until we become a... Ooh, you know, we had uh, this kind of idea last week. Oh, no. We didn't have this idea, but we talked about it during the episode of uh, the podcast I found about the Sandlerverse. Yeah. We dive in to the Murphyverse. The Eddie Murphyverse. Oh, man. I feel like that's going to be great. And It's then... going to be Murphy on Murphy. <laughs> Murphy on Murphy. Featuring Ted. <laughs> I feel like that's going to start great. Um, it's gonna it's gonna fizzle out real yeah. quick. <laughs> well, uh, uh, that depends on if we watch Eddie Murphy raw, because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of like homophobic <laughs> stuff in there that is not. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh my god. If we start with his stand-up <laughs> films, but then once we get into his like actual motion pictures, you know, for a while it's gonna be good, and then yeah, once we get into the Meet Dave um, haunted. Well, I don't know. You might log- like Haunted Mansion. Are you a Haunted Mansion guy? I feel like Disney. Like even live I've never seen all of Haunted Mansion. I didn't want to actually. trash it and go, and then you'd be like, "No, that's one of our favorites." We that's a good one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, whenever you get into Haunted Mansion, that shit sucks. How dare you? I mean, it is made for kids, so maybe I should look at it through that <laughs> lens. But um, I couldn't think of another recent. The funny thing about Meet Dave, one of the guys that wrote that, I think it's Meet Dave, is Bill Corbett, who is the voice of Crow on Mystery Science Theater from like, oh really? Yeah, from the late from the sci-fi era. To the net, so he did all of yeah. He was the voice of Crow on that, the second reboot of Mystery Science Theater. I feel like <laughs> uh, out of five or something. Yeah, so it's it's just really weird that, and it's like one of his only film credits that uh, you know that he's written. So, but yeah, I feel like he's another one like De Niro who has kind of just like taken weird roles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, if you're looking in TV Guide the night of February thirteenth, nineteen ninety seven, you are gonna see one of Tim's favorite <laughs> episode descriptions. I'm sure. It reads, while Elaine suffers in a case of mistaken identity and an ex-friend fears Jerry's retribution, George avoids a girlfriend looking to break up. All one sentence, no semicolons. I mean, that's perfect. I mean, it doesn't need to be separated at all, you know? I feel like I didn't give the synopsis its due, but I'll try to gush more over it at the end. But yeah, I, I do love it. Okay, we start with a cold open, and we have George and Elaine in a cab, and George asks her how much he could charge if he was a gigolo. Oh, God. (laughs) And Elaine says, here or in Japan? And he says, what's the difference? And Elaine says they're more enlightened in Japan. They don't care as much about, I forget the word she uses, but what he looks like, essentially, is what she means. And then she tells George one (laughs) dollar. Oh, my, yeah, she would pay a (laughs) dollar to, uh... Use George for his gigolo services. <laughs> and George says he could pull at least 300. And Elaine says, oh, I don't think so. And George even, like, defends. He's like, what? That's for a full <laughs> for night. night. <laughs> Which I think is still high. Yes, yes, I indeed. Mean, it, it, we need to get a sex worker on the show to <laughs> properly talk about this because i have no idea well here's george's problem i read a thread on it was an ask reddit and it had the serious tag on it ted so you know it was serious <gasps> i think i saw this same thread yes because it, it was super interesting it said male sex workers what is something you know just tell us about your life essentially yeah. what's something we don't what's a misconception and male sex workers were like 
you're not going to get a lot of women, so I hope George knows that. And if that's worth $300 to him, you know, then then that's fine. But I don't see George. I see George getting in, into it and not taking a lot of that work. Yeah. I, I, I remember reading that, like, you're not going to get a lot of women, and the women that you do get, they're not going to be the women that you would typically go for uh, outside of being a jiggle. Yeah. Because uh, I, I remember the one comment that said, the women that you want to sleep with, they want to sleep with someone who is jacked, tan, and tall. And no matter how jacked, tan, and tall you are, there's always going to be someone who is more jacked, tan, and taller than you are. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, so, and, and that doesn't describe George at all. No, <laughs> None of those words not. describe That George. is the antithesis of George. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting here, you know, George says, you're demeaning me. And Elaine's like, did I force you into this uh, life? And George says, yes, you and every woman like you. Oh, <laughs> God. I We're 60 seconds into the episode, and we're already getting George's Joker arc. Yeah, immediately a woman, uh, a women owe George everything. Uh, and they're, uh, they're also the, to blame for all of his shortcomings. It, it's been a while since we've seen incel George. Definitely, it definitely has been. Oh my god. <laughs> but right when he said that line, I was like, man, like we couldn't write a more incel George line than they actually just said. <laughs> Uh, so out on the street, Jer- uh, Jerry and Kramer are walking, and Kramer is sick of how dark it is getting so early because daylight saving hasn't kicked in yet. And I love Jerry's line here because Kramer's like, when do they do it? And he's like, I don't know. They just tell you the night before, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> like, no one ever knows when it is. It's just like that Friday, the local news is like, and remember, spring forward this weekend. You know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah. great, great. <laughs> Actually, I mean, now that everyone has phones, you know, they all do it for us. So probably no one even knows the day before you wake up on sunday morning you're like what the hell i slept until 10 like oh yeah. no i see we sprang forward okay and jerry spots uh, oh, oh uh, kramer is springing ahead right now he's he's not waiting he's gonna spring ahead right now <laughs> and jerry spots mike moffitt who called jerry a phony as kramer says that was five years ago so of course immediately i looked it up and the parking space was when we met Mike Moffat the first time in season three, episode uh-huh. twenty-two, uh, April twenty-second, nineteen ninety-two. So pretty much five years wow. ago. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, that's accurate. Yeah, I know it's it's an accurate timeline. <laughs> Mike comes up and uh, he's now a bookie, and he tells Kramer that you know if if you guys want to place a bet, it's with me. And Kramer gives Mike. The incorrect time as 6 p.m. And he says he's really late. Yeah, I th- there was a line that Jerry says to Kramer, like right after he uh, starts fixing his watch. Uh, Jerry just very dryly says, oh, I'm sure that won't cause any problems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he tells Mike at 6 p.m. And Mike goes, oh, man, I'm really late. So over at Jay Peterman, Elaine is going over some designs by a co-worker named Peggy. And they're great designs. And as she's leaving, Peggy calls Elaine Susie. And Elaine doesn't correct her. I was confused by this because Peggy's tone almost sounded like she was saying, thanks, Susie, as though she was saying that for Elaine to herself. Uh, Does that make sense? Because Elaine didn't say thank you for the designs. She just said, these are great. Jay Peterman's going to love them. Yeah. And then ran out the door. So I'm like, is her name Peggy or is her name Susie? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that could be a little confusing. 
And over at Monk's, uh, Jerry and Elaine are sitting there, and Elaine is sort of, you know, telling Jerry what uh, happened in the, the previous scene with the mistaken identity. And, and and George comes in with a new tux that he got for the pinstripe ball. Steinbrenner's throwing this big party at Tavern on the Green, and George is bringing Allison, of course, because she was made to go to a ball. She's tall, blonde, and lithe. And we get a, a little, again, they're, they're, they tried this again, and it, it's not even as good as it was in the previous seasons, and it wasn't even good then. Like, this is one of our bits where we just kind of groan, but when they oh, say a word yeah. over and over again, like, lithe, live, live, lithe, live, lithe. And at least they didn't point it, like, like, point it out like they did with the bunk bit. You debunk it, and then it's bunk. But yeah. it still wasn't good. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't hate it as much as last time. <laughs> By the way, I looked up lithe, and it means thin, supple, and graceful. So good good okay. vocabulary word for George. Yeah, wow. And she's going to wear a backless dress, and George is so psyched because he's finally going to make a good entrance. And as Elaine says, <laughs> entrance, what are you going to back her in? <laughs> and he's like, when she enters, <laughs> she's going to twirl. When you enter a ball, you twirl. And Elaine's like, she's not going to twirl. <laughs> God, and George, like, the most demanding here is like she'll twirl i know i know another another kind of jokerish george like the woman will do what i say (laughs) (laughs) easy there tim you might be the one getting called the snowflake today (laughs) exactly over at so and at george's he is in fact explaining to allison he's making up a story about how steinbrenner wants everyone to (laughs) twirl when they go in he's like "Uh, trust me it's time so he's passing the buck on this and saying steinbrenner wants everybody to twirl as they enter uh, and Allison also got some Knicks tickets for Kramer and their courtside. And then she sits down on the couch and tells George, we need to talk. And George goes, uh-oh, because he knows <laughs> what that means. And, and in fact, up in the apartment the next morning, he tells Jerry that he told her, I'm out of soda. And he went out and never went back. He slept at his parents' house that night. <laughs> I love Jerry's take. It's just like... And she wants to break up with you. <laughs> yeah, I know. And once again, George is oblivious to, like, yeah, like I, know, I know, can right? you believe it? <laughs> I, I think he also, like, snort laughs, too. <laughs> yeah. And and she's also invited him to lunch at Pomodoro. And Jerry knows, oh, everybody breaks up at Pomodoro. And <laughs> so George's plan now is to avoid her. If she can't find me, she can't break up. And then if she can't break up, she has to go to the ball with him. So he's just trying to last just <sighs> for the next few days. Uh, So they have to go to the ball. (laughs) And this is interesting because he's ghosting her to save the relationship. Yeah. This is a a concept that probably could could never happen today, right? Yeah, because if you just, if you started ignoring someone who wanted to break up with you, they would consider themselves broken up. Like, well. Yeah. yeah. Like at the the very most, you'd get a text saying, okay, well, um, you know, it's over. And then you're, that's it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no way this could happen today. But th- this is a concept I've never even thought of. Yeah, like in fact, like she could have broken up with him over the machine, but even that in the '90s was considered impolite. You know, to, we hadn't crossed that threshold yet. I guess. <laughs> you know, you can't break wow. up over the machine. You have to do it face to face. And I remember them talking in the in the universe about. Uh, I remember Elaine saying like, "Is this a phone call?" She probably would have done it over the phone if she'd gotten a hold of him. But how long has the relationship been going on and what, you know, how, how, how can we break up and still be polite? Because I remember Elaine trying to do it like, is this an over the phone thing? Like, well, have you, have you slept with him yet or whatever it was? I don't remember. But yeah, obviously they, they've gone on long enough that, it, that Allison's being very polite about it. Kramer comes in and he put Jerry down 
for a bet with Mike on the Knicks game. And Jerry's like, well, you know, and Kramer's like, well, I can't do it. I have a gambling problem. That was, this was so good. Oh my God. Yeah. He, he thinks he's treating Jerry like he's dumb because he didn't understand why, you know, he put Jerry down for a hundred dollars worth of his money. You know, he doesn't, yeah, he's like, oh, Jerry, you're an idiot. I can't do it. I have a gambling problem. Uh, back over at Jay Peterman, Elaine is now answering to Susie because, like, she walks by Peggy's door and Peggy yells Susie. And so Elaine comes in and she starts to correct her, uh, except Peggy starts to ask Elaine about this memo from Elaine Bennis and starts trashing Elaine, saying, Oh, I don't know why Jay Peterman didn't fire that dolt. She ran the company into the ground. It was a huge disaster. And then when Peggy calls Elaine Sues, that's when Elaine takes all of the rage that was building up over being trashed in front of her face and yells at her for calling her Sues. God. <laughs> Over at George's, uh, George is sitting watching TV and he's letting the machine pick up his calls. He's essentially screening his calls, what we would do with caller ID on our cell phones now. Uh, George is having to uh, <laughs> listen to people uh, get his. And this is an iconic Seinfeld oh. moment. My God, I never knew the context of this. <laughs> I've seen the gif of this. I've never seen a clip of this, but I, I never knew what this was from <laughs> until like I, I saw I saw someone on the Seinfeld subreddit say that it was like from season eight, episode 15. I'm like, oh, and this was while we were already talking about season eight. I'm like, oh my God, we're almost there. <laughs> so I had no context of, uh, of the scene, but this was so good. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just awesome. And do you know what song he's parodying? I don't know the name of it, but it's, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> I'm not going to get dmca <laughs> I already sang the Hey Dude theme song, and I don't even know who's oh, okay. responsible for that. But, um, yeah, no, it's so it's it might have a subtitle, but I, I think it's it might be called um, Believe It or Not or something like that. But yeah. it's the theme from a television show called The Great American Hero, or the greatest ah. American hero about a guy who somehow attains superpowers and has to figure out how to use them. Like there, there was no manual for them. And so it's, I think it was kind of a comedy even. But the song has been a big part of my life because it was a giant hit the week I was born or something like that. Like it might have even I don't think it was number one because I think that was Betty, wow. Betty Davis eyes. <laughs> but for some but like my mom had a 45 of this song in like my baby book because maybe it was just a song she really liked at the time or something but i know it was like at the top of the charts or something the, the week i was born you know how like the number one song when you were born people like to keep track of that or something so that's the only reason that i've that it's held a special place for me for so long but that means this song was 16 years old when george was using it on his answering machine already you know it was like a 16 year old song mine was uh achy breaky heart nice by billy ray cyrus yeah <laughs> Yeah, that, that might have been... So, I feel like the number one song when you were born really started to suck. I don't know when, but I just know that... Which one of my kids is it? I think it's Colleen, who it's like Monster by Eminem and Rihanna. I'm like, oh, cool, oh. the domestic violence song about, you know, strapping your, your significant other to the bed and lighting the house on fire. That was that was the number one song when you were born. Merry Christmas. <laughs> what the hell? Like, I don't know. <laughs> 
I don't even know what Declan's is. I, I probably didn't even look it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, not after the monster. Um, maybe. Wait. Oh no, I'm getting it mixed up. The monster was about fame, and love the way you lie was their song about um, domestic violence. Oh, so okay, okay. I, I think it was the monster that was number one, but still, like, not the song that you want to like. Here you go. I'll play the edited version. You know, like, <laughs> I didn't have to play the edited version of the song that was number one when I was uh, born. But so it's Jerry who's calling, and he wants to know if George. Uh, wants to go to the coffee shop, but he can't go there because she knows, Allison knows that he goes there, so it's not secure. And so George is getting a call on call waiting, and he hangs up, so it rings. And I just want to point out, that is how call waiting works. I know I got angry at the Seinfeld writers for an earlier um, episode where everybody hangs up on Jerry, like there's a three-way call, or, or no, she has call waiting and she beeps over and nobody beeps back to Jerry. Like Elaine's phone would have rang, or Jerry would have heard someone ringing. His line would have started ringing again if Elaine hung up on him. And it, so it wasn't an accurate portrayal of call waiting, but this is how it would work. If you hung up when someone was calling you on call waiting, your phone would start ringing. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So he couldn't beep over and say, you know, because he he could have it could have been Allison, and it was, in fact. Uh, so he had to let the machine pick up again, and it was Allison, and she's at the office, and she's like, I I, I got to talk to you, and so George calls her house, and he goes, Hi, it's uh, oh, you know, you're probably still at the office. I probably should have tried there, but all right, maybe I'll see you later. <laughs> Which is a pretty good trick when you're trying to ghost somebody, but also trying to stay in some sort of contact. <laughs> Uh, and, and he's even proud of himself. He gives a little uh, maniacal chuckle to himself uh, <laughs> after he hangs up. Uh, over at the apartment, Jerry's apartment, Superman is on the shelf, by the way. And Elaine is more upset about being called Suze than she is about getting trashed right to her face about running the company into the ground and being a disaster uh, when she was in charge and even now. And they have kind of a runner in this episode where earlier Elaine was like, yeah, she called me Susie and... Jerry was like, I don't know. I don't see you as a Susie. Sharon, maybe. And then Elaine starts describing somebody who's like, who are you talking about? She's like, someone I know. He's like, someone named Sharon. She was like, I'm not saying. And so she does that again here. And uh, Yeah, she describes like the first time it was... <laughs> what did she say? A, a bulimic chain-smoking stenographer <laughs> from Staten Island. Yeah. And then, uh, what did she say this time? Did it involve a cheerleader? Like a, a bimbo cheerleader it or something did. like that? Um, oh, uh, a pom pom waving backseat bimbo, <laughs> and she's like, uh, "What? What does Jerry says? Oh, is that someone you know named Suze? No, still Sharon. Still Sharon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and Kramer comes in, and he was kicked out of the game, the Knicks game, for fighting with Reggie Miller. And how many times has Kramer come through the door? Like, all of his stories are the most interesting thing. And a lot of times they are. This is probably the most interesting one, at least to Jerry and Elaine. And he just plays it off like, oh, yeah, this is this is me. Yeah. He's like, wait, I was kicked out of the game. And they, like, you know, every time. What? Yeah. Every time yeah. he leaves, it's on, like, the biggest. Cl- wait, wait, wait. Yeah, we're fighting with Reggie Miller. Wait, wait, wait. And you know what's really weird here? Elaine goes, Cheryl Miller's brother? I was like, did you catch that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I was like, wait a second. I've always just known Reggie Miller, star player on the Indiana Pacers. Like, I don't even know anything about sports. And I was like, 
he was he was at one point someone named Cheryl Miller's little brother. So anyway, I'm definitely writing that down for homework next week. <laughs> like, why was Reggie Miller in '97 known as Cheryl Mi- Cheryl Miller's brother? Do you know? Do you have any idea? I have no okay. idea. Right. I have very limited <laughs> basketball knowledge. She does it twice. Elaine does it twice. She's like, "Wow, I can't believe Kramer fought with Cheryl Miller's little brother" or something like that. And I'm like, "All right, what is going on?" I literally wrote WTF in my notes. <laughs> uh, and so Kramer's like, yeah. So he's like, first of all, he started the game an hour late, which we know is because oh my Kramer's showing up yep. late for everything. Uh, and he's sitting next to Spike Lee, well-renowned Knicks fan Spike Lee, always sits courtside. Uh, and he and Reggie are jawing at each other. And I got involved. And that's another point when he tries to walk out. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And by got involved, Kramer mean, oh, I ran onto, onto the court and threw a hot dog at Reggie. <laughs> which by the way this is an interesting week to talk about us and people throwing food at nba players because that's happened twice in the past week i think did you see that really i did not i no. can't tell you the players or the teams or anything but somebody threw popcorn at a guy who was walking off the court like in the middle of a game and then somebody else through like a cup full of ice at another player that was also walking off uh, the court Jeez. at another game. Yeah, and these two <laughs> games were like within a few days of each other, but also just in the past week, like within the last seven days, I think, uh, if not around there. So I'm like, wow, how weird that Kramer, you know, I mean, trendsetter, <laughs> doing it decades before it was cool to throw stuff at NBA players. And so they threw Kramer, Reggie, and Spike out of the game. He's like, well, you know, I was I was apologetic or I was sorry for it, but then we all went to a strip club. <laughs> I mean, how awesome must that have been to go to a strip club with Spike Lee and Reggie Miller in 1997? God, I, I, <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. And then so Kramer, finally, that's the end of his story, and he leaves, but then he runs back in because the Knicks won by 37 points, and Jerry's like, yeah, well, without Reggie Miller. By the way, uh, <laughs> Reggie Miller, I do know at, some, at one point was called like the Knicks killer or something like that because evidently any time he was in town, he destroyed the Knicks. But he was like, yeah, without Reggie Miller, of course. And Kramer's like, no, that means the Knicks won by 37. They beat the spread. You won 1000 bucks. Yeah, the, the exact margin Jerry needed to hit <laughs> to, to win a 10-to-1 bet on 100 100 bucks bucks. yeah Yeah. uh and so kramer uh, is like kramer's like (laughs) yeah problem comes out (laughs) yeah he what is he yelling to jerry he's like that's a cool g daddy-o now you gotta let it ride yeah yeah he's like well you gotta let it ride (laughs) (laughs) yeah we see the problem that kramer has like immediately rear its ugly head (laughs) over to jay peterman uh jay jay peterman himself is asking elaine about this tiff between peggy and Susie. And he wants a meeting with Elaine, Peggy, and Susie first thing tomorrow morning, all three of them, (laughs) which we know is a huge problem because Elaine is two of those people. Over at Allison's apartment, Kramer knocks on her door and asks for more Knicks tickets because they're playing, I think it's the Rockets or something, and that Akeem Olajuwon has a real attitude. So now that he has courtside (laughs) seats, Kramer wants to get in. He wants to fight every (laughs) NBA star? Yeah. Seems like it. Yeah, because that's another name that I definitely remember from back in the day, Akeem Olajuwon. Um, But also it got me to thinking, I was like, man, if Kramer could keep getting these tickets and has no social filter and doesn't mind getting kicked out of games, he could have a real scam going with Jerry where, you know, he bets on the Knicks to win by some crazy margin and then knocks out the star player. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) And um, Elaine, though, I mean, Allison asked Kramer if if he's seen George and he's like, yeah. He's uh, at the guy across 
the, the halls every 10 minutes. I love that he refers to Jerry as the guy across the hall. Maybe that's because he thought Allison <laughs> didn't know Jerry, but it is. it seems very Kramer to like be lifelong friends with the guy and still call him the guy across the hall. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the guy. I, yeah, he knows the guy across the hall from me pretty well. Like, yeah, so do you. <laughs> Out on the street, Jerry is uh, at his car unloading groceries, and Mike comes up. Mike Moffat comes up, and he can't pay. He's a bookie who can't pay, which Jerry points out is a little, what's the word? Phony. Uh, <laughs> and Mike is a pitiful bookie. Like, he's begging Jerry for more time. <laughs> and even Jerry points out, he was like, look at yourself. You're the bookie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he asks until Friday. Uh, meanwhile, Jerry's trunk is broken, and he can't get it to close. And Mike, right as Mike sticks his fingers in there, Jerry slams the trunk down on them, and, and Mike screams. <laughs> I, I loved the the twist on the the pitiful bookie. You know, like uh, I'm sorry, I oh can't. Oh my pay. god! Just yeah. give me till Friday, please. <laughs> and someone still ends up with broken fingers. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Uh, so over at Pomodoro, which is actually called Pomodoro Rosso and is still at 229 Columbus Avenue. Ooh. Yeah. And they even on their website acknowledge that they got this reputation as the breakup restaurant from Seinfeld. And so they said, like, after this episode aired, we got a reputation for being the breakup restaurant. But they're like, if someone does invite you to Pomodoro, they probably just want you to have some of the best Italian food in New York City or something like that. Uh, so all these years <laughs> later, it's still on there. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah. oh my god <laughs> i wonder if people i wonder if people did start breaking up there so kramer has asked george to dinner there and george is like why are we coming to pomodoro because th there are people breaking up all around them yeah literally like as as george leans in there's a woman in the background that just goes how could you say that to me <laughs> and it's because kramer is breaking up with george for Allison. And he keeps using the we. He's like, we just don't think this relationship is going anywhere. <laughs> and he's even he's talking as Allison in some parts. Like, I love the part where he's like, I I'm getting to the age where I need more than a good time. And Kramer's like, are you? Or George is like, are you? And Kramer's like, me? No, but she is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, as Kramer gets up, you know, Kramer Kramer sort of like storms off in the way that you would if you'd just broken up with somebody uh, and didn't want to face them anymore. Did you notice in the background there was a guy who is covered in something sauce or wine or something like that like the woman who said how could you say that we didn't see it so it's kind of weird i wonder if there was a little cut scene or something where she does throw something in the guy's face and storm off because oh man yeah the guy is like cleaning himself off in the background when kramer storms off no i had no idea <laughs> yeah i wonder so i wonder if there was like a little weird you know just some some interaction that we didn't see where that happened and they they were like well we have to leave that background part in even though Nobody sees it. Uh, over at Jay Peterman, the meeting is taking place, and I loved this was really well written too because no one's actually addressing Elaine. Peggy thinks Elaine. So Peggy thinks Elaine didn't show up, and Jay Peterman thinks Susie didn't show up, and nobody is nobody's addressing Elaine as her name, which is perfect for <laughs> Elaine because even she is able to say you know what, this is really, you know, she and I have had our problems. I and her have had problems. She she and you, you and she, like she's using all pronouns. And she's like, this is really a, a Susie and Elaine problem. So then she's speaking in the third person, but as both people. Jay Peterman appears to be happy with that solution because he just seems like that kind of boss who's like, all right, if, if I don't have to worry about this anymore, then that's good because I don't like working, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And he, so he's like, all right, well, that's all cleared up. Should we all go to lunch? But 
<laughs> Elaine realizes she has gone as far as she's lucky to have gotten this far with the charade. So yeah. she fakes being called like, oh, what? What? Oh, OK, I'll be right there. And, and exits. <laughs> God. Up in Jerry's apartment, Kramer comes in and Mike is scared to talk to Jerry because Jerry broke his thumbs apparently and kramer accuses jerry of hurting him you know essentially doing what the bookie would normally do breaking the thumbs uh over (laughs) the money and mike offers to fix jerry's trunk and then they'll be even and i'm like whoa 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 a thousand dollars yeah an incredible like winning bet and a thousand dollar win you're gonna fix his trunk that looks like it just i don't know has something stuck in there that it won't close yeah it's not worth a thousand bucks we'll be even yeah even on a sob that wouldn't cost a thousand dollars to fix and i love that kramer throws in he's like oh but i was the one that broke it by the way (laughs) oh yeah and jerry's like eh, i don't care it's just a car yeah And George, meanwhile, George comes in and he and Kramer have an awkward interaction, the same kind you might have with somebody who you just broke up with, like an ex that you happen to run into. And, you know, George kind of asks to be taken back and Kramer's like, it's through. And George goes, what do you think, Jerry? And Jerry's like, I don't know. I just see you guys together. (laughs) (laughs) This was also a pretty well-written interaction, like the, the, um... What sort I'm looking for? Not Avatar, but sort of that. That's in that same vein. The proxy, the proxy breakup. You know, Kramer is a proxy X for Allison. Uh, out on the street, Mike climbs into Jerry's trunk to get a better angle to like reach this screw or bolt or something like that. Kramer gets into his car and he backs into Jerry's car, and the trunk closes, and Mike is trapped inside. When did trunks start having a lever in the in the car? That you could open the trunk from the inside for this exact reason. Good question. I don't know. Let's look that up for next week. Okay. Trunk. Because that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. I'm like, not that. I wasn't thinking about it in the way of like, where's that lever? This premise sucks. Yeah. Um. But obviously, something like this had to happen at some point for that lever to exist. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I, I wonder when. I, I don't know. So we'll put that down for next week. Because, yeah, I, I remember. I, I think I remember being a kid and them introducing that so in jerry is driving in his car later on with elaine and they're talking about the whole Susie situation but mike is banging on the trunk and jerry just he's like oh the trunk's broken it's rattling so he's just kind of writing it off and elaine is <laughs> venting about Susie, and jerry's like well you know what you have to do you have to eliminate her and elaine's like oh, i don't know i i kind of <laughs> like her and jerry's like get rid of her she's gone <laughs> and that's how this- <laughs> just, just maniacal laughter <laughs> and 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 mike is in the trunk listening to all of this you know thinking they're talking about actually murdering somebody but the laughter was over Jer- and jerry says it kind of quietly he's like oh, that bumper sticker and then elaine starts laughing <laughs> maniacally too <laughs> when's the last time you laughed out loud at a bumper sticker not ironically <laughs> i can't tell you <laughs> when's the last time you did it ironically i can't tell you that either i don't know oh, okay. i can't tell you the last I, although i did read a bumper sticker today and it's one of those like really small ones where like you have to be at a red light to read it oh i know what it was yeah. it was like i i know stuff because of npr so it was very underwhelming oh. but i was finally able to read it yeah i know <laughs> yeah but i can't think of have you seen a bumper sticker that you liked recently uh ironically or non-ironically i guess either way uh ironically yes uh because i mean 
going back to my hometown, <laughs> uh, there's a whole bunch of, like, Buck Fiden decals. Oh, no, I'm I, like, wow, I haven't enjoyed oh, that one yet. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow, that's, uh, that's take some wit. That's witty. Very witty. <laughs> I, when did they stop using the F word on their bumper stickers and flags and stuff? Like... I've seen- oh, they still do. They say. still do. It's for it's for the people who don't want to make the commitment of having the word fuck on their bumper. Well, I mean, I thought it was all about no more bullshit and fuck your feelings. Like, yeah. why, are, why are you pussyfooting around it now? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the line yeah. that exists. After the coup, we're going to start being polite? After the coup? <laughs> uh, Tim, I'll, I'll have you know that the coup never happened. I know. Uh, according, according to the Senate. We're getting way too political right now. We should get <laughs> yeah. back to sign yeah. up. <laughs> And of course, I meant we're just, we're just going to get in trouble. I meant attempted coup as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, this might be a good time to bring up. Did you check out that Vice article? It did have, a, unfortunately, some spoilers for future episodes. But that Vice article that I mentioned a couple episodes ago that I would tweet out, and I finally did when I think the episode dropped that I mentioned it in the one that's like, oh, ten Seinfeld episodes that are way too sexist and racist to exist today, or something. Oh, I saw you tweeted yeah. it. I didn't read it. And well, my caption for our tweet was, I think we let a lot of this stuff slide. Like it was digging. Really? It was digging deeper than even we did. Yeah. So wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Check it out at no hugging if um if you're interested in in being even more if if our podcast offends you you'll be even more offended by this list (laughs) (laughs) if you find yourself fuming at us (laughs) yeah oh boy get angry wait till you read this article get angry at someone else for a while this vice article from 2016 or whatever it was (laughs) Um, and it was written because of when jerry said oh i don't do stand-up at colleges because they're also pc so it was in relation reflex to that they were like oh well here's some episodes that i don't know i don't know what it was that jerry seinfeld should be ashamed of or something so up in uh, jerry's apartment george bangs on kramer's door so we're in the apartment building george bangs on kramer's door and he begs for another chance it's five o'clock in the morning um actually um what is it's four, is it's four o'clock but kramer thinks it's actually it's four yeah it's actually yeah. four but george has been walking the city all night and he bangs on kramer's door begging for another chance um which he agrees to and george says i'm gonna make you both so happy over at jay peterman jay peterman himself tells elaine to give Susie this project that uh, or the fingerless glove division i love that they're gonna have a whole division for fingerless gloves oh my god but he gives Susie that job and elaine's like oh i thought i was in line for that and, and i love jp again the boss wanted to do no, no work mm, nah <laughs> that was so great <laughs> ah, nah and then so Susie, so this is where Elaine decides to eliminate Susie, and he tells Jay Peterman that last night Susie took her own life, which is oh my a God. very heavy way. Uh, I mean, I guess there's no good way. Nothing would have sounded good if they to eliminate a fictional character, you know. But yeah, but this was dark. That especially, this was, yeah. This came out of nowhere. I felt. I'm like. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, they have to keep referencing it. Yeah, I don't know where we're at in 97 with joking about suicide. Oh, boy, but now it just, it feels different. Yeah, yeah, it did. It, it Just because of the openness about mental health that has developed over the past, you know, two or three years even, it was like, yeah. oh, man. But it's not the first time also that the show has talked lightheartedly about suicide there's been at least two other times that's when, true when newman was yeah. still voiced by larry david and he was going to jump off the roof and kramer's like why don't you go ahead and do it or whatever um and then also <laughs> when the guy jumps on george's car at the hospital and 
Oh, yeah. yeah. And George wants the hospital to pay for it. So, you know, it's it's definitely, you know, just sort of talked about. But just like everything in the show, it's just sort of, it, it's not dealt with. It, there's nothing in the show is dealt with with any sentimentality whatsoever. So mm-hmm. why not? Why not this? But it is unfortunate. Like later, Jay Peterman has to say, I must admit, I didn't know about her troubles or so i never i didn't see the signs or something like that and i'm like ah <laughs> man <laughs> it <was> like, <sighs> uh yeah it was just it was just a little a little sadder these days i don't know i don't know why yeah yeah so over at allison's kramer knocks on the door and tells her we're taking george back which <laughs> uh definitely flummoxes allison in the moment uh over at the funeral which is packed by the way and Elaine's like, I'm not gonna have, I'm not gonna have this many people at my funeral. <laughs> yeah, D- did you did you notice the parking situation at the at the funeral? Yes, everybody's boxed in. I I was so <laughs> taken aback by this. I had to I had to rewind. I'm like, hold on, hold on. What is going on here? Who parks like this? Is this a a, a valet situation? Which could have been true until until we see Jay Peterman pull up. We'll get to that in a second. But, like, everyone in the front row is parked in. Yeah. You're not leaving early. You're not leaving that no, funeral early. Uh, <laughs> maybe. I mean, the only thing I can chalk this up to in, in headcanon is it is tiny parking lot in New York City parking where they're like, you know, we're, we're a funeral home. We got parking for 20, but nobody can get out. So, you know, <laughs> if you want one of these spots, they're free. Or you can look on the street. You know what I mean? They're like, we do have yeah. parking for, you know, maybe loved ones or something like that. Uh, or for VIPs, you know, whatever the case may be. That's that's all I'm going to chalk it up to. But I did think of it. And I thought there was a little spot. Like, for instance, Jerry, you could see nosed into a spot, but then he's stuck. And it looked like there's a little street, but I'm like, no, no, you're going to be driving on the sidewalk if you, if you you know, hit, put it in drive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did love the sad realization that this made up person has more people at the funeral than than Elaine's going to have. <laughs> like, it, she takes yeah, stock which, of her life how, in the moment. How did all these people find out about Susie's funeral? Are these all people... F- people from the jay peterman company that like a mass email went out or something yeah and maybe it was like we see peggy there yeah and and jay peterman of course shows up that's that's my guess and maybe even a memo went out that's like you can leave work early if you go to Susie's funeral so peggy sees elaine and she thinks it's Susie. she's like Susie, oh my god and she's like oh no i'm elaine she's like i've been calling you Susie. <laughs> and Elaine's like i hadn't noticed oh my god just <laughs> Just solves the entire issue that she's had for the last week like like it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but here's my other question about the funeral. How did they get a funeral to have – I guess you can convince somebody, especially in the case of a suicide, to go, we're, we're going to have a casket. Or I don't even remember if there was a casket there. But, like, how do you convince a funeral home to have a funeral for a for someone who doesn't exist, you know? I mean, when you go and, and do that, do you need a – death certificate or can you just have a memorial service for anybody and they don't even ask they're like as long as the check Uh, clears i guess that's the way it works i guess so because i mean even on the sign that we see later it doesn't say funeral it says Susie's memorial yeah maybe maybe elaine called and organized the thing and said look we we're we're organizing a memorial service uh unfortunately we don't know she could have even lied to the funeral home people yeah or or the, the the venue people uh, she disappeared. This is a, a public memorial. We don't have a, a body. Yeah. We don't know where she is. We don't want any uh, pictures. We, <laughs> yeah. We don't want any flowers. 
We, we, we don't need a casket. We just need a venue space. <laughs> yeah. And it obviously is just a – it's not even a funeral home because there's a bar mitzvah in the other. So I, I said funeral yeah. home earlier, but it's, it is just a venue. <laughs> it, it's, it's a multi-purpose event center. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I just think it. I, I mean, yeah. So she just rented a venue and set it all up herself, or something. It's not even. There's no. There's no funeral home involved, or, or mortician, or anything like that, or anybody that would. Yeah. So it's just the venue, and and she got the chairs and everything. So which is probably easier for easy for her to do. She probably does events for you know the J. Peterman catalog all the time. Here's the J. Peterman gala or whatever you know. So. And Jerry says that he, Jerry tells Peggy that he had a thing with Susie and Elaine um, <laughs> and keeps winking at her. Um, meanwhile, Jay Peterman pulls up in this like pretty sweet roadster and totally on brand for yeah. Jay Peterman, too. <laughs> Although I bet when he's not in Jay Peterman mode, like his apartment, he probably has like a Honda Accord. That he like you know trolls around him. <laughs> like, what am I driving today? The the Accord or the weird. Downton Abbey Roadster that I got. Oh, that's right. The Roadster. <laughs> I'm going to see employees. Um, and he bumps Jerry's car when he pulls in, and it opens up the trunk, and Mike escapes, and he sees the sign that says Susie Memorial. And he's alarmed because he heard them talking about uh, eliminating Susie. So over at Tavern on the Green, which, by the way, is still at West 67th Street in Central Park, uh, where it has been since 1934. Uh, had you ever heard wow. of this place? I have not. Um, I've always been kind of fascinated by it because it's, uh, it's I think, one of the only businesses actually allowed to be in Central Park. And it's because it's been sort of like grandfathered in, you know, since 1934. But it's like super expensive. And um, I've loved any time it's popped up in movies just getting a look inside because I know I'll, I'll never be allowed inside myself because it's just one of those places, you yeah. know. Um, <laughs> but it was I, I remember this because I, I looked it up. I was like, I thought it closed down. And it did close down from 2009 to 2014 and they just used the building as a visitor center for the new york parks department or something uh but then in 2014 another chef bought it or something or a restaurateur and they opened it back up uh and tried to restore it to its former glory which it is still open to this day man yeah so if any of us normies ever wanted to get a look inside of it between 09 and 2014 was our only shot that was it Yep, that was it. <laughs> or I, I know it's Well now yeah. we just have to we just have to pray on the downfall of Tavern on the Green once again. <laughs> yes, come on. Come on, pandemic. What are you good for? If not closing down Tavern on the Green again. But I do you know, it's in movies like uh, Ghostbusters. I think you get a good shot inside of what it was like in the in the eighties. And then that movie made with Vince Vaughn and John Favreau, there's a scene uh, that's filmed in there. So uh, if you want to get a good look inside. That's how obsessed I am with it. I do know there's a couple movies that are filmed <laughs> inside. Kramer shows up to the pinstripe ball as George's plus one because he took George back. But Allison, uh, what does he call her? A tough nut or something like that? Something. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. And he's in a tux that he's like, it's a rental, but I've had it for 15 years, which was a, <laughs> uh, just a hilarious line. Um, and... Kramer starts to walk into the pinstripe ball and George is like, you're not going in there. And they tussle and the back of Kramer's tux rips off as he twirls into the ball and Wilhelm goes, what an entrance. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I think he even says like, who might you be? And Kramer says, I'm with him. Yeah, I'm with George. Oh my God. Which is exactly what George wanted to happen with Allison. But now he's, yeah. And what a funny, I mean, George and Kramer together is just a classic, you know, uh, Abbott and Costello, the fat guy, skinny guy juxtaposition is just a comedic, 
just comedic gold anytime you can make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the what are the guys? Uh, uh, damn it, you know the very the little mustache guy and the then the skinny guy. Uh, Laurel and Hardy, Laurel and Hardy, of course. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. The, the fat guy, skinny guy. Um, and then so that's pretty much the the end of the episode. Wait, no, I'm sorry. We do get one last uh, bit of the funeral where. Elaine is eulogizing Susie in the most boring way possible, saying just saying anything about herself, like she didn't like going to the market. And finally, Jay Peterman steps up and he starts u- eulogizing Susie. But it's a tale of a night of passion when they were working on the the catalog late one night and they gave in to temptation, which of course we know didn't happen. Uh, but yeah, but we learned last episode that Jay Peterman has no problem bullshitting about the women he slept with because he told Elaine to throw herself into the mix when. She writes that part of his autobiography. Uh, but Mike runs in and says, Susie didn't kill herself. She was murdered by Jerry Seinfeld. And that's when uh, Jerry turns to... Oh, well, before... I, I got to mention, too, because the, the runner continues where Jay Peterman talks about Susie, and he turns to uh, Peggy and goes, yeah, well, he didn't sleep with both of them. And Elaine gives a look to Jerry that he... that. When he sees it, he's like, it's like daggers. She's throwing daggers at him, which is hilarious. But Jerry turns to Peggy one more time and says, not only that, I broke his thumbs. Jesus (laughs) Christ. And so that's kind of the end of the episode proper. But we do get one last little bit where uh, back at Jay Peterman's office, he's starting a charitable foundation in honor of Susie that (laughs) Elaine will run and it will be on her schedule nights weekends anytime she has free and this is very much in the same way that george was put in charge of the foundation uh you know for susan interestingly enough and uh elaine lets out a Sue's style star wars i'm sorry star trek to wrath of khan shout from uh you know as the camera twirls above her in the same way that it did william shatner uh and that's the end of the episode I was wondering what the the camera twirl had to do with it. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember what George was screaming about when he did it. Let me see. The spinning shot of George yelling Khan. So why was he yelling Khan? Because they also, um, it's also a reference. Uh, she's not really dead if we find a way to remember her as a reference to Star Trek Two. But George looks up. Oh, because... Oh, because he's mad at the Wrath of Khan, because that's why they started the foundation. Your friend Jerry said something to us that made us think. So he does, he just straight up yells Khan, but Elaine yells, Uh, Suze! Yeah, so uh, definitely a throwback to the foundation episode, which was, was that the very beginning of this season? It was, it was episode one, yeah. Wow, we're coming full circle, so yeah, there we go. Uh, all right. Uh, what do we got for homework this week? Why Elaine called Reggie Miller Cheryl Miller's brother, uh, and okay. when the trunk safety latch became a part of uh, motor vehicles. Yeah, and that's it. All right. Two simple things. Yeah. I I think I'm sure we'll find a way to stretch that <laughs> into thirty minutes. Uh, what do you like for cover art this week? Oh man, that's a tough one. What do you have? I didn't write anything. I I was waiting to hear what you said. Um. If we could do gifts, I would do Kramer twirling into the ball, but we can't. Of course, that, that that's the first thing that sprang into my mind too. Kramer's Ma- back was tucks. Maybe Mike giving a two thumbs up with both of his broken thumbs, I or like that. or Jerry just like crushing the trunk lid down, and the the first instance uh, of Mike's face before he goes too goofy with it. 
I think I like the thumbs better because Jerry and Kramer will be will be in that shot. And that was also a, a pretty funny physical gag where now he's giving the constant thumbs up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I I think I like that. I, I can't think of anything better. All right. What do you want to do with uh, this week's description? Let's hear it. So we had... While Elaine suffers in a case of mistaken identity and an ex-friend fears Jerry's retribution, George avoids a girlfriend looking to break up. It's uh, it's it's pretty perfect. I mean, we could probably sneak Kramer in there by saying, like, George's girlfriend enlists Kramer. And how would we not give it away without saying to break up with George? Like, oh, uh, um, how about George's girlfriend enlists Kramer to pass a message to George or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. I I kind of, I kind of don't want to add anything to it because Kramer has two storylines. Yeah, in this. yeah. And if you if you give credit to one, you're not giving credit to the other. That's because I mean it, it starts off with his gambling problem, but then leads into uh, he being the messenger for Allison. Yeah, but because where because we end up at the pinstripe ball, I feel like that story is more important. But he does get Jerry into the whole mess with Mike. But that's mm-hmm. an ex friend fears retribution. Is that, does it say from Jerry or no? Uh, fears Jerry's retribution. Oh, fears Jerry's retribution even better. Um, yeah. Well, we don't have to shove Kramer in there, but that's the only way I would make it better, but we can leave it the way it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want people to know that it's possible. <laughs> God. How long has it been since you've seen this episode? Um, I think quite a while. Yeah. It, but although did, it's did one you of those, remember anything about yeah, it? Yeah, it's one of those that was coming back to me in the middle where I was like, like you, I knew about the the answering machine message but i was like oh man i had no idea that was from this episode and 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 kramer spinning around in the tux i was like oh that's twirling it's from a ball but i was like it can't be from this episode how would we end up there but then when i was like oh my gosh it's gonna happen right now and um yeah so i i i I didn't remember all the iconic moments that that came from this episode but it was a good one i mean i think it deserves a star yeah, I I love this episode. I, I I gave it a star. Probably even like halfway through, I was like, "This is a really good episode." Yeah. Um, only downers I, I would have, and this is just me trying to think of something. The ending I didn't like. That the after credits ending of the Wrath of Khan yeah. parody. I'm like, eh, okay, uh. that kind of kind of came out of nowhere <laughs> for this episode. And uh, I mean. We we wouldn't be putting a 2021 lens on it without saying the joking about suicide. Yeah, that hits a sour note. And I, but the, yeah. other than those, it it it's a pretty solid ep. Yeah, I was the same one too, where I had like two or three great laughs by the middle break, and I was like, that that hasn't happened in a long time. You know, I mean, that's I'm I'm like laughing, getting big laughs all the way through this episode. Yeah, yeah, it's it uh, it's a strong contender for the end of the for the end of the season. All right, well, next week, we've got Season 8, Episode 16, The Pothole. Original air date, February 20th, 1997. And if you're looking in TV Guide that night, you are going to see George takes extreme measures to locate his lost Yankees key ring. Hmm. I do rem- I mean, there's another iconic... I don't know how iconic it is. Maybe we'll find out next week if you have any reference point for it. But there's a- another iconic Seinfeld moment, I know. Uh, in- Not that I... Not that I recall. I, yeah. I don't have any idea what this could be. Yeah. So we will, yeah. I, I think it might be another good episode. We might be going out on a real strong, after kind of a lull in the beginning slash middle, we're yeah. going out <laughs> on some pretty strong, strong episodes potentially. So, all right. Is that it? I think that's it. All right. For No Hugging, No Learning, I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hollowell. Be good. Be good.